Hi, everyone. It's Susan, and I am oh so excited to announce that the Divorce and Beyond members-only community is finally open. That means you can go to divorceandbeyondpod.com right now and sign up for membership for only $10 a month and get all of the members-only materials, podcasts, exclusive episodes, Ask Susan Anything forum, newsletters, and videos just for members only. So go to divorceandbeyondpod.com now and check it out. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I know that when I got divorced, I was like, two years, whatever. I'll be remarried by then. I'll have, you know, I'll have a job. It'll be amazing. Like, I had all these visions of, like, what I, what I thought my life was going to look like. And I can tell you it looked nothing like that. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I am joined by our friend Kate Anthony, uh, the host of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, and I'm excited to say that this is the second half of our special joint venture. We did a podcast episode that started on the Divorce Survival Guide, so if you have not listened to part one of our podcast, go listen to Kate's podcast first. First, and then come because we're going to pick up our conversation now on let's what do we call it alimony spousal support maintenance um, I always call it the scariest word in divorce but first let's welcome our friend Kate Anthony welcome Kate thank you for coming and joining us Hi, thank you so much for having me back on you know I love talking to you <laughs> all day every day <laughs> I was gonna say we have so many fun things we do together and I always love you know your podcast episode should I stay or should I go is it time to try or time to say goodbye is always one of my top episodes. Everybody loves your wisdom in that area. But you, not that long ago, made a post about alimony, and we talked about this in the first half, the fact that you received spousal support at the time of your divorce, and it was a really critical part of um, of your, I'll call it divorce path after divorce, right? It, yeah. Or your life path after divorce. Um yeah. yeah, and and alimony is one of those things that you know it is. I think it's probably one of the more misunderstood um, aspects of divorce, the most contentious areas of divorce, and it has a lot of ramifications, as we've been talking about, as. You know, it's 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 wholly negotiated during the divorce, and then it has a lot of ramifications on your life after divorce, much more so than I think people are going to have understood until you've lived it. Um, yeah. And you were talking about in the first half that you you know live in California, you receive alimony for half the years of the marriage if it's been less than a ten year marriage, so you got alimony for two years. 
which <laughs> may sound great, but we were just talking about that that huge cliff you fall off of at the end of the term of your alimony um, because, and, and I have been a divorce attorney for a long time, I've not seen a case where someone continues to write the alimony check past the end date. Um, so... Actually, I have one case where it happened, Uh, but that is a rarity. And so, you know, that alimony, it it helps you and then it stops and you're on your own. Then you found yourself there. I did. I did. Even though like I thought I was being smart, which I was in stretching it out. Right. So I took, you know, half, I think a good portion, maybe not half, but maybe a quarter of of what I got every month. And I, and I put it away into a savings account. And then for the next like year and a half, two years, I retransferred like, you know, a portion every month so that I stretched it out for as long as I could. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, when it was done, it was done. (laughs) And there's no amount of planning for that. You know, you don't, unless you negotiate, as you said, a stepped down um, process, then you're, you know, when it's done, it's done. And it's, it can be terrifying. You know, it's coming. You may, you know, you may, you may have your head in the sand, right? Like, and think, I know that when I got divorced, I was like two years, whatever, I'll be remarried by then. I'll have, you know, I'll have a job. It'll be amazing. Like I had all these visions of like what I, what I thought my life was going to look like. And I can tell you, it looked nothing like that. (laughs) Um, Certainly not remarried, still not 12 years later. Um, And, um, you know, I, I didn't get, I didn't want a job. Like then I started like becoming a coach and building a business. And then I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll just build my coaching practice. It'll be totally fine. It'll be easy. I'll be, that'll be like a year, you know, took a good 10 years really to build this, my business. Um, what you guys see now <laughs> it took 10 years to get here. Um, and it was, you know, and a lot of debt. And, um, you know, one of the things that I said about spousal support, um, on your, um, on my podcast <laughs> part one, was that, you know, really sp- taking spousal support can be a real, a huge help in helping women um, get back on their feet in a way that they wouldn't be able to without it, um, especially if you've been a stay-at-home mom, right? I'm going to say women because, you know, statistically, that's it's usually women who have been the stay-at-home parent, but we do know it goes both ways. Um, and I think it's a contributor to the income, ba- income gap that women, you know, if they get out of a marriage, they have to get a job. They got to get a job. Do they have time to build a career? Maybe. If they don't have spouse support, probably not. Probably you're just getting a job. And even if you start a career, you're still, you know, many years behind where you would have been had you started before you became a stay-at-home mom. For many women, that's 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so does it take two years, three years, five years for you to get back to that place that you would have been at? No, of course not. You will always be behind. You will always be 10 years behind where you would have been. And, you know, and if you, and if you don't take it, like I said, you're, you're getting a job, you're getting a job and you're not building a career. Um, and so it's, it is a helpful, it's a helpful thing. And I think we're about to talk about like, what are the pitfalls, right? What, what are the pitfalls with, for it? Um, and I know that, you know, um, 
we have a colleague who wrote an article about not taking child support even um, because women can be become dependent um, upon that support and not push themselves to get back into the workforce, right? We can, and I mean, I don't know that I have found that to be the case. Most of the women I know or work with are really gung-ho and motivated and are excited to get back to um, being income earners and, and fully self-supporting. I mean, I'll tell you, most of my clients really can't fucking wait. Oh, can I say that on your podcast? Oh, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, anyone who usually you know, listens. Yeah. Um, but they're really excited and gung-ho to rebuild their lives and get back out there. I mean, it's I think women are hungry for it at this point. So that's, yeah, what I have to say about that. <laughs> well, and but I think that's such a great point. And, and you used kind of the word that I think for people out there listening is kind of the cringe word, which is dependent. Um, and that is, you know, something that my entire career talking to clients about getting alimony or spousal support the there the flip side of you're entitled to it it's money that you need it's 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 trying to equalize a discrepancy that's been built up during your relationship but it also has an unfortunate side effect of you know literally in the old days making you sit by the um mailbox waiting for that check to come in the mail from your ex-spouse and now it's like you know what monitoring your bank account to make sure that the deposit goes in so you can make your mortgage payment or your rent it keeps you tied to this person you're no longer married to um in a way that can feel dependent, um, you know, and, and there's an unhealthy aspect to that that plays out because, and this is the thing that many people do not understand about alimony or spousal support, your right to receive that income and the amount you receive is based on how much your spouse makes and how much you make. So as that situation changes going forward, if your spouse, ex-spouse now starts making less money or you start making more money, which you need to do based on what you know Kate was just talking about, that's the whole point, right. then there's always this possibility that there's a modification of the amount you receive, right? So there's this 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 paradigm that's set up where you are constantly sort of monitoring whether they're still earning the amount or are they making more? Can I get more? And they're always kind of looking at what you're doing so they can see if you're making more money and maybe they can pay you less money. And it sets up this like voyeuristic viewpoint on each other's lives. I've had clients who are like, he got a new car. It's a Mercedes. Does that mean he's making more money? Or I think the business is paying for it. Or the kids told me they're going to Cancun for Christmas. How can he afford that? Or vice versa on you know what's happening in the other household. That is a very difficult way to live your life in, in an emotional content. And I know you can speak to that. Yeah, I mean, I would say in those circumstances, there's a lot more going on than just being dependent on the money. Um, though that's what um, I talk about when I talk about, you know, kind of um, uh, you're still. Whole, I mean, what, what do I call it? And I can't remember because COVID brain. Um, that 
<laughs> I think it's negative intimacy, right? That there's that we are holding on to, but that's actually not what I mean by negative intimacy. Um, but that's you're you're holding on to the past. You you clearly have a lot of unresolved um, issues and resentments that you're like. For me, when I got my check, which wasn't a check, it was a you know a balance transfer. It was literally just a, a, a it was a transaction. It was a financial transaction. Money was moved from one account into the into my you know from his account into my account. That's all it was. And if you're so closely monitoring your ex to to like look at like their money situation and what they're spending and what they can afford and what they like, I mean, I'm gonna be really blunt about it. Like you need to get life right. Like let's turn the fo- keep the focus on yourself. Um, and what are you doing? Um, you know, look, if they're not paying and they're claiming financial hardship and then they're going to Cancun, okay, then we have a problem. And that is absolutely your business. But if you have a agreed upon amount, it, it like, it, think of it as a transaction, as a business transaction, um, and take the emotions and the emotional heat out of it. I just... Yeah. I feel like there's a lot more going on with that. You know? <laughs> well, there is there. It gets into, I think that entitlement concept of yeah. I'm entitled to share in your income for a time period. So if your income goes up, I'm entitled to more of it. And legally there are arguments for and against that, but just the mindset of that, that thought process is then you have to know what that person's making. You have to still be involved in their business. So there's something that keeps yeah. you very entwined um, in that in that income sharing model. Um, and that's really what it is. The other thing people don't understand about alimony is that, you know, you d- there are two financial paradigms in divorce. There's the splitting up of your past, which is your marital estate. There is the, which is your assets and your debts. Everything that's marital, that's an asset is a debt has to be divided, but that's what you've got up to that point in time. Then there's support. Support is the future. It's the sharing of your future earnings and a balancing out, maybe not equalizing, but balancing out of that future income. But because there's no crystal ball, usually we don't know what people's future income is going to be. So unless they stay exactly static, the law allows for it to fluctuate based upon what happens to people's incomes. And I think most families right now, you're probably dealing with coaching clients whose spouses have lost jobs or lost income during COVID, it's been a very common issue. There's the pitfall of alimony. If your ex-spouse loses their job, guess what's going to happen to your alimony that you're so dependent on? Yeah. All of a sudden you're not going to get it. Right. And that, and that's a really good point, right? That is a really good point that if there's, if there, especially, you know, there could be like a raise, you know, you know, raising income, a lower income, but if there's a a severing of income. Like if there is no more, if someone loses a job, which is happening all over the place now during COVID. Um, and then all of a sudden your income stops too, right? There is that there. And so, I mean, I, yeah, that's, that's, that is one of the risks, right? Which is why spousal support, you know, as you said, is like a rehabilitation period, right? And so you've got to be working on, um, you know, building something for yourself, getting a job, I would say get a job. If you want to build yourself a business or build a career, um, have that be something that you do secondarily. 
Um, but if you, um, but you know, first, and this is what I didn't do by the way. And I think it was one of my bigger mistakes. Um, first get a job, first get a job, get money, get some income. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get some income coming in for yourself so that you are not completely dependent on them. Yeah, because when you need to get a job because you're losing your support or your support just ended or they lost their job and your your support's now based on their unemployment instead of their hundred and some odd thousand dollars a year of income or whatever it is, that's not when you want to be out there looking for a job. Um, you, you want to have and be supporting. And here's something, here's a, an attorney tip for those out there who are negotiating spousal support. Get a clause written into your agreement. Get an agreement that allows you to earn up to a certain amount without it being cause for your ex-spouse to pay you less. We call it a safe harbor. Um, So if you're earning zero, you're a stay-at-home parent and you're going to go back out into the workforce, give yourself a runway, negotiate yourself a runway where you can earn up to $50,000, $60,000, a year without that being an amount where that your ex can come in and say, hey, you're earning that much money. I shouldn't have to pay you as much. Um, That is something you can do to give yourself some breathing room as you maybe get a job, but also start being able to build a business or build a career as you're going to go out there. So a lot of people are unaware that that's an option and it's actually a great clause for the recipient of alimony to be getting into their agreement. That's a that's really important. I yes, absolutely. I love that. I didn't I didn't know you could do that. But See, yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an attorney. This is why this is why we love Susan, right? I, I you know didn't know you could do that. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that you have that cushion. I mean, and you know, like I said before, when you are, I think in part one, when you are a stay at home parent, you are you are making an investment in a joint venture. Um, that has very little return on investment for the person who's making really the most of the investment, right? We are investing, we are, you know, taking ourselves out of the workforce um, and, and making ourselves completely dependent upon another person. And when that doesn't work out or it goes south or, you know, for whatever reason, um, Spousal support is part of, is really kind of one of the only forms of returns that you get on that investment. And it's quite a minimal return. Um, And, um, you know, men typically fare a lot better um, after that because they're able to work and, and, you know, build their careers and climb the corporate ladder while we take care of everything at home. And then we get out and we kind of don't have anything. So I think that's really important to talk about sort of protecting some uh, some amount of that, uh, which such a clause would do. Well, it does. And, and maybe another way, and I'd love your input on how to broach this topic with your either soon-to-be spouse or spouse. When you are thinking about getting married to someone and you know that children, raising a family is a part of what the two of you plan to do together. Or once you're married and you decide or you you find that, uh, you know, you're starting a family, you can negotiate the fact that there will be spousal support at that time by way of a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement. So what people fail to do is either talk about this ahead of the marriage, 
because it's a hard conversation, right? So we don't want to talk about it. It's not romantic to talk about alimony and spousal support when we're not even married yet. Or you're pregnant, you find yourself that you're, you're planning on becoming a stay-at-home parent, whether your mom or your dad, and you don't talk with your spouse about the effect that that is going to have on your career, and yeah. you don't negotiate your spousal support into a postnuptial agreement. You can put clauses into a postnuptial agreement that say, if this marriage does not work out and I have left the workforce... I am going to receive alimony for a certain term instead of finding yourself in a situation in a state like you did, Kate, where you left the workforce, you had been married five years. So according to California law, you were only going to get alimony for however long. You right. can you can negotiate this ahead of time, but nobody wants to have that conversation. Right. Right. Nobody. It's There's so many conversations we don't want to have. I have a friend who got married. She's there. She's pregnant now. She got married a few years ago and she was telling me about the premarital counseling that they were doing. And I can't tell you how I want to find the guy that she did it with and interview him because the, the depth of conversations that she had, they had to have. She said it was so hard. They almost didn't get married because they were having to face certain eventualities that they didn't know that they disagreed on so, so deeply, right? And talk about all of them before getting married. And we don't, none of us do that. So few of us do that. I mean, literally like he's, he's sober. So what if, you know, what if something happens and he, and he falls off the wagon and he, you know, starts, starts using again, like what, what are you going to, and she's like, I don't want to think about that. Like, I don't know. And he was like, then he forced them to like, actually talk it out, you yeah. know? And some things you, you don't know, like, I don't know how I'm going to respond, but you know, but what is it? What will it mean? What if you, what if that happens before you have kids? Great. What if, what if it happens when you have kids? <laughs> you know? And she's like, ah! <laughs> um, and you know, it was a good year leading up to their marriage that they were in this premarital counseling. And, you know, I said to her at the time, I was like, your, if your marriage fails, like, I, like I'd be shocked at the amount of with the amount of work that you've put in on the front end. Um, so we don't want to have these conversations because they're ugly. You're looking at things that you don't ever want to think about. Um, but this is so important. It is so important to again, you know, we think for for women, we think being a stay at home mom, it's like, oh, it's you know, it's so romantic. It's the fairy tale. It's the you know, my my prince charming is taking care of me you know, June Cleaver, I'm going to bake cookies. You know, I got into it and I was like, I hate baking. I hate cooking. I hate cleaning. What am I doing? Like, this is my job. I hate it. You know? And, um, you know, but we don't know that beforehand. We have to think about that. We have to think about all of these things before we make these decisions. A hundred percent. Yeah, it will. And you have to have the conversations. Our friend Laura Wasser, when I interviewed her about prenups, and she's like, she loves doing prenups because it forces people to have those difficult conversations at a time where you're on relatively equal 
basis. That's the other thing to remember. Once you have been the stay-at-home parent for five years, 10 years, you've left the workforce, now your relationship is ending, your spouse is not necessarily in that frame of mind. They might have been in at the time you were deciding to have a family and deciding that one of you was going to stay home and and be as reasonable as they might have been at that time. You've lost your negotiating position. Right. It's such a good point, right? You're, you're, at the, you're at the peak of your relationship just before you get married, right? That's a great time to talk about these things and set these things up for your future. And, you know, it's interesting. I would ask you, like, you know, people think that prenups are for rich people, right? Because it's all about, like, the assets that, like, essentially, I think the, the what people under, think of prenups are, my family's really rich, your family's not, so the prenup means that you were going to sign a document saying you have no access to any of my family's wealth, right? That's sort of like what the typical, what we think of as a prenup, right? Yeah. So what's, what, what actually, so, but these are things that go in prenups, right? Exactly. I mean, that is a, that is it's certainly an issue in prenups, but yeah. you have to look at the situation that more than 50% of first marriages end in divorce. And many, many, many of those people go on into to a second and a third marriage. Those have an even higher rate of dissolution. Um, we have children in multiple relationships these days. Millennials and younger generations don't even get married, but they do have children. Um, so prenups are becoming more and more important just for the issues of what we're talking about here. What ifs? What if? Um, the two of us, the relationship doesn't work. What if I give up my career or not give it up, but don't? I mean, I've had clients who they, they still worked. Um, we're not a stay-at-home parent, but they didn't get the the promotions because they couldn't travel, or they didn't get the the bump ups that they might have gotten, or the bonus potential that they might have gotten because they were still the primary caretaker, or they were the one who took more of the school dates or something like that. Those are the types of things that can go into a prenup or a postnup. At any time, you can negotiate almost any aspect. The only thing you cannot negotiate is the care and custody of your children. You can put provisions into a prenup or a postnup, but that is always going to be governed at the time of the divorce by what's in your children's best interest. So if what you put into a prenup or a postnup is not what a court considers in their best interest or something has changed, that is not something that you can pre-negotiate. But you actually, I mean, there are a number of pluses to talking about these things ahead of time. One of the conversations that people do not have is a very serious financial conversation about the ramifications of deciding to be the primary caretaker. They just don't. And they assume that if I am the mother of the children or the father of the children, that the law is just going to take care of that or the other person is just going to take care of them. And unfortunately, financially, it's not ever even usually possible to continue to take care of you the way that you t- were, you know, taken care of in, in a manner of which you're, which you're right. Or <laughs> the legal phrase of, you know, the standard of living of the parties, you know, the money's just not there. Right. And, right. you know, but if you've never talked about it and now you're trying to negotiate these terms and you've, you've voluntarily made the choice to take yourself out 
out of the workplace, it is going to be something that will stay with you permanently. I mean, you can get back on your feet, but you're always going to, as you pointed out, going to be in a place of catch up. You're catching up. And the other thing that people do, and you didn't do it, so I do want to, I don't want to harp on it, but I really want to point this out to people who are listening because you're the first person I think I've ever heard of who took some of their support and set it aside for that time period after divorce or after the alimony. Yes. And I want to, I do want to acknowledge that I was in a privileged enough position to be able to do so, right? Because my ex-husband makes a lot of money. And so he, you know, my, the, my numbers at that time were skewed higher. There are people that literally can't do that, right? Because everything is going to staying afloat. Um, so I was in a priv- very privileged position to be able to do, to do that. And I think it's important for me to say that. Which I 100% agree with. and and But the, the key to it is re- regardless of the position you're in is having a plan for how you're going to get through the supported period and even more importantly, what you're going to do when the support ends. Yeah. Because it always ends except for a very tiny number of people. And those are really situ- the only cases that we ever see people that who get permanent alimony these days are people where, that have been married for 30 plus years. And truly that, that supported spouse has absolutely no ability to go out and support themselves or where we have a disabled spouse. Um, I've even had very short marriages, but where one of the parties was in a catastrophic accident or something of that nature. And alimony can go on for an extremely long period of time. But I guarantee guarantee you, unless you're in one of those those categories, the alimony is never going to be long enough and it's never going to be enough money. You have to have a plan because it will stop. And the other thing that, and I find this, you know, let's, let's do a little bit more of a feminist rant for a moment because by far the majority of people receiving support, spousal support, alimony are women. It's usually still paid by a man to the woman. Under most states' laws and in most cases, alimony will terminate if you remarry, if the person who's receiving the alimony remarries. Or in many states, they cohabit with a non-related person of the opposite sex um, or a romantic partner in the world that we live in. So what is that doing. That is that means the payor of alimony gets to move on with their life. They get to go remarry. That has no effect. And by the way, their new spouse's income has no effect. So now they have a double income household. Still doesn't affect that, you know, they don't have to pay you more just because they now have someone sharing their expenses. But if you want to cohabit with a new romantic partner or you want to remarry, your alimony is going to end. You There's a financial... Uh, what's it called? Like, uh, you know, consequences. Penalty. Yeah. Yeah. There's a financial penalty to you actually moving on with your romantic life. Yes. I've had clients. Thanks. Thanks, Susan, for the rage inducing. (laughs) Well, 
I, I, I bring this up because I want the people who are listening to really think about these things. This is what you said. We were going to talk about the pitfalls of spousal support. Here's yeah. another pitfall. I have a couple, they're friends, and my she had been married and, and was in a situation like you where she was re- receiving a significant amount of money. It, uh, it was actually combined alimony and child support. And then she met my friend and they entered into a relationship and she became pregnant. They had a child and they lived six houses apart for the first seven years of that child's life. Daddy lived down the road because, because of the, the income situation. Um, that's an extreme but that is the the situation, and I have been the attorney in cases trying to negotiate situations where spousal support will continue even if you remarry, um, if you the recipient. It is one of the almost impossible things to negotiate. It is almost I, I, there's there, I have I have been successful in getting that clause for my client who's getting alimony in a very small number of cases because. There's been built into our society this, well, if you're getting the goods, why should I be paying the support? And it goes completely against what you were talking about earlier and what I know you're going to talk with Daniel Harold about is, you know, this sharing of income is based upon the effort, the non-economic efforts you put into the relationship to the financial partnership of the marriage that ended. And why should your you know, receiving support be cut off just because you've now entered into a new relationship? Right. It's so antiquated. It is so antiquated and it's so anti-woman. Um, it's, you know, it's a misogynist law or if it's a law, whatever it is, right. Uh, practice. Um, and it's, and it, you know, again, like keeps us, keeps us behind, behind in love, behind in money, behind, just behind. Yeah. Keeps us and unable to move on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, these are all really, it's, it's, I think it's a, I think every situation is unique and different, right. And we have to know that there are positives and there are pluses and minuses. Um, there are consequences, there are benefits, um, there are penalties. And, (laughs) um, and so going into asking for it or negotiating for it, um, I think it requires a lot of research and a lot of sort of information gathering and, and forward thinking, right? Cause this isn't just about, you're not just making a decision about the first two years. You may be making it about the next 10 years or, um, or longer. And, you know, these are, it's, it's, it's not, an, I guess it's not, it may be not as cut and dry as I, you know, when I'm, when I'm on my rant about take the support, like maybe it's not as cut and dry, <laughs> right? Which well, is take what, it. Which your, was your point when you commented yeah. on my post and then we decided <laughs> to do this. Exactly. My, and my only point is, I agree with you. Take the support, but take it with a grain of salt and protect yourself and, and really, truly think through the ramifications 
and the understanding. My my one, number one tip would be if you're negotiating support, make sure you get a CDFA to help you or a financial advisor to help you. And it's not just to negotiate the amount because so many people think, well, I negotiate enough to meet my expenses right now. But as we've been talking about in both parts of this episode, you have to be thinking beyond the, the time period, even if you do need to spend every single penny that you're getting to, to stay afloat during the term of your alimony, you're also going to have to know what you're going to do beyond that term. Yeah. It's coming. Yikes. So I know. Well, Kate, I'm so excited that we got to talk about this and I love that we got to do this joint episode. It's the first one either of us have done on our podcast. I hope all of my listeners are going to go over and and subscribe to the Divorce Survival Guide. Everybody knows how much I love you. I talk about you in all of my shows all the time. Well, as we know, our friend Kate says... I, you want to talk about you too? <laughs> yeah. So, it's one of those, those things and I'm hoping to have you back. Most of my listeners know I'm launching the special members only section of the podcast. I do have for members only a whole entire um, episode on alimony that goes deeper into the legalities of it. So if you have more, you know, information that you want on support and alimony, you know, consider joining the members only club. But and I'm hoping to entice Kate on to do a Q and A because we're having the uh, ask the experts anything section on the members only. So I'm going to put her on the spot. Kate, will you come? back and do a members only question and answer? Oh yeah, of course I will. I love, you know, I can talk to you all day, every day about all of this and everything else. So yes. I would wonderful. Honor. So if you're out there and you're in the members only, send in some some suggestions for what you'd like to um, have Kate come and talk to us about. Um, but we'll have uh, I'll be putting information on the members only page about when Kate's coming. So thank you so much, Kate. Thank you, Susan. you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.